Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can join us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, conventions, and more. You can also catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM, which is an intercom station. And it's aired in the Northwest and then syndicated. We run the simulcast on our page. Uh, typically every Friday, they, we put up the new segment, again, covering movies, games, television, conventions, pop culture. You can go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, and catch our game reviews and other content uh, covering 12 newspapers, excuse me, uh, yeah, 12 newspapers, 21 markets, and of course, we have our student reviewed magazine, syndication, and of course, our good friends at Sci-Fi Radio who cover our skewcast to carry the articles. I'm joined as always with Justin and Michael, and we've got a lot of entertaining news to talk to you about this week, so we're going to hit the ground running and get right into it. I did want to mention a couple of products and travel stuff before we get into the meaty discussions. First off is a device that we're looking forward to really trying out when we get to Comic-Con, and it's called the Pivo, P-I-V-O, and you can go to pivo.ai to get more information on it. And it's some camera equipment. They have a new uh, model out called the Equestrian Edition. Comes in a very attractive traveling case. It's got a telescopic uh, tripod mount as well as various attachments. One of the great things about it is the Equestrian Edition is obviously aimed with equestrian, horse people in mind, but it is very flexible and versatile. Yeah, imagine a tripod that you set up and you put your camera on top of it. You can use your smartphone, uh, other devices, and you can remote control it or set it up so that it can stream you, it can um, record you, that sort of thing. One of the examples that they showed was setting up the tripod so it could follow you as you go around an obstacle course on your horse, taking photos, streaming, that sort of thing. Now, obviously, uh, we are not going to be using it for horse riding because it has been several years since I did any horse riding. But we are going to be doing a lot of field testing with it at San Diego Comic-Con in just over a week and a half. And one of the things we're interested about is that, in theory, I could be at a table doing interviews. We could set the people up and have it take photos at the press line automatically or stream while, while I'm there doing something else. Or, for example, you could be you know doing one thing uh, and having it take b-roll another video and footage that sort of thing so we're really excited to see how that's going to work um, instead of having a camera on the tabletop we can put it off to the side while we do our interviews stuff like that so or possibly even stream the interviews while we're doing uh, our recording lots of stuff so really excited to check that out and we'll be doing a full written review uh, shortly after the convention the other thing I wanted to mention really quick before we get into the topics is that Universal Studios has uh, told us last week that Jupiter's Claim, which is a set from the upcoming uh, horror movie by Jordan Peele, Nope, they will have a full replica of it at Universal Studios Hollywood as part of the Backlot Tour. Not part of um, Halloween Horror Nights. This is there, ready to go beginning on Friday, July 22nd, uh, time to go with the um, release of the film. And for those in the Phoenix and uh, Las Vegas area, we are giving away passes to the film uh, to an advanced screening, so you can definitely check that out. 
The other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Knott's Berry Farm has uh, opened up their brand new dining establishment. We've been uh, following this through its construction. It is called the Prop Shop Pizzeria. It's an Italian kitchen located, I always say it's kind of off to the side of the uh, bumper cars um, in that general area. You'll see it and they've got a full menu from pizzas to salads to um, calzones uh, to uh, pastas with uh, there's uh, spaghetti and penne, uh, three different types of sauce, various protein toppings, desserts, drinks, much more. They've got indoor dining, they've got quick serve, grab and go, and they also have an outdoor dining area. And the advanced word on it is that it is fantastic. I am hoping to get a look at it in a week or so when uh, we get out to the park for a little bit before heading down to Comic-Con. But uh, if you are heading to Knott's Berry Farm right now, that is available. It is also on the dining plan. So, gentlemen, as we are recording this, we are about uh, 12 days, uh, 13 days away from San Diego Comic-Con, whether or not you count the uh, preview night. And uh, as predicted, we are going to be getting something on Prey, the upcoming Predator uh, film that's going to be debuting on Hulu. Uh, but we're getting a little more than we originally had thought. Originally, I thought we might just get an activation or a panel, but apparently it's going to be screening. Um, there is a invite. Uh, well, it's basically you have to put in your request and then they uh, pick who goes. But there's going to be an evening screening of the movie. Uh, so, Justin, start us off. What do you make of this and what kind of response are you expecting? Yeah, that's actually kind of surprising. Um, I, well, I don't know how surprising it is just because the whole movie has sort of been unique in terms of uh, its whole announcement and, and its distribution, I guess. You know, it's not going to theaters. It's going straight to Hulu. So um, it has been a little bit different uh, than what I'm used to for following movies. So uh, I guess the curious thing is that there's really only been one trailer. Um, so... A lot of these, uh, a lot of people who are going to be uh, seeing it through advanced screening, um, they're, they're going to be going into it pretty blind uh, with, with not a lot of expectations, which I actually, you know, I think really kind of makes it kind of exciting, honestly. Uh, a lot of times, you know, these days, there's like three or four trailers before you see a movie, so you kind of have a pr pretty good idea of uh, what, what, what to expect before you go into it. So uh, I'm kind of curious to, uh, to see what the response is. Um, for the movie uh, going into this, uh, just because, you know, again, there's only been one trailer. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely pretty interesting um, and also pretty exciting for, you know, people who are able to uh, to attend Comic-Con. Um, you know, and then uh, it doesn't actually come out much later than, uh, than that. I think it's, you know, releases in early August, so... Um, you know, it is kind of like in line with an advanced screening, uh, what you would kind of expect from from a normal movie in terms of timing. But uh, uh, but yeah, I'm very curious to see what the response is coming out of it. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, so I think August 5th is what I saw the release date is. So it's, what, about a week um, until then. So yeah, it, it is, like Justin said, kind of like an advanced screening. You know, a lot of the times when we do um, our pre preview nights that are with the public, you know, typically it's like a, a four days. Like typically we'll go to a movie on like a Monday with the release date of a Thursday. And if they're showing it on Saturday night, I think you said, Gareth, um, and it comes yeah. out 
Friday the 5th, um, you would fall kind of in line with that. So I, I'm hoping that means they feel pretty com confident that it's going to uh, preview well with that audience. Um, there, there are kind of two ways to look at this. One is it's like an advanced screening, so they want to kind of get feedback from the audience, you know, get an idea of how it shows um, at Comic-Con. But I, I, again, I think that, would, that means they're pretty confident. Um, anytime we see, um, you know, I get an opportunity for a public screening of something before a uh, general release, it usually means that they're, they're pretty comfortable with the state that the movie's in, uh, and they're not going to expect a bunch of bad press from it. Um, that, you know, that could mean that, again, maybe it's it possibly means it's uh, they're confident in it. Hopefully it's, uh, it's they obviously it's a great crowd to get um, some quality feedback from. It doesn't necessarily have to be written feedback. You know, a lot of times they're watching for reactions as people are watching the, the film um, and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I'm hopeful for it. Uh, again, I, I, you know, I always get a little concerned when movies um, – so especially with such big caliber things like Predator and Alien, um, we've kind of talked about some of these movies going direct to streaming versus uh, going to theaters. But anymore, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not the same quality. Obviously, we see studios dumping a ton of money into streaming content and, and helping drive um, you know that, the content on the streaming service. And, and Predator's been one of those kind of hit or miss kind of, um, you know, franchises there was a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of um excitement about the last one um even when we went to CinemaCon and they showed it off they, they seemed to be pretty confident in that um it looked it showed really good but then at the same time it, it didn't resonate with audiences quite as much um so i'm hoping that this is you know an opportunity to get that back on track and i think this is also a good opportunity for disney to get a feel for um their new franchises predator alien the ones they acquired um, with the merger and just see, you know, what is the, what is the, uh, interest and what is the, um, feedback that they get for these so that they can kind of get back on track with hopefully full on theater releases. But yeah, I think overall, um, I think it's a good option. It's a great, um, opportunity to show it off. It's an excellent um, place to do it because they'll get a lot of quality feedback from the folks in attendance again, because that's kind of their thing versus showing it to just, the general public where they kind of won't get the same audience um, interest that they would have gotten from a place like Comic-Con. Uh, and I think it gives them a good opportunity to really see how it shows. And, I, and I'm really hoping it does well. Um, again, with that, with only one, the preview looked really good. Um, there's not, it hasn't been a lot of, a lot of buzz outside of that. Um, so I'll be curious to see how it shows overall. It will be interesting because as you said, there is, Oh, there's always that uh, dual-edged sword of advanced screenings, whereas sometimes they say, well, you're playing to a, um overhyped audience because they're all you know, thrilled up to be seeing it early, and you're playing to the base. And the big question for films like this is, how is it going to go with more casual and so on? And I'm like, yeah, that, that could fly, but it doesn't necessarily fly with a streaming service. This is a franchise that has a lot of interest, but as we know, that we have had people get very excited about recent efforts and be disappointed. Uh, you know, we've had people say they weren't thrilled with the ADP films, they weren't thrilled with the last Predator film. There was a better reaction on the prior one, but of course, you know, everybody still looks back to the original film with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So 
it it'll be interesting i i would expect a enthusiastic response but at the same time as you said both said you have to be confident about it because one of the biggest things about san diego comic-con is the amount of buzz that it can generate for a project there have been numerous projects that were not as highly touted that had very good comic-con showings and boom you know went into stratosphere there are still so many people that talk about Iron Man, you know, it seems so funny, especially as we look at the numbers for Thor having its best franchise launch for a Thor movie, that there were a lot of people back in the day that thought Marvel was crazy for trying to do their own films, and, you know, I remember when they um, brought out the first look, the first everything at Comic-Con, it got an overwhelming huge response and there are a lot of people that say this is what catapulted it into this hey this is not the standard superhero adaptation we've been expecting this is going to be something special and launch things going forward so i you know i'd like to think that they've got a pretty confident uh thing i i will be interested to see if we're going to see some pop-ups and activations and stuff along the way because i definitely think that that is going to be uh one to watch Another thing to watch, gentlemen, is something that I'm very curious about is that the Orville is doing its full press rounds, press interviews, as well as a panel. And what is intrigued me about this is that by the time the panel happens, it is my estimation that there's only going to be a couple of episodes left this season. And there was a lot of talk earlier before the season started about how the cast had been released from their contracts, how the status of an upcoming season was uncertain Seth MacFarlane's got his deal with another studio he's off doing the Ted series Scotty Grimes has uh, joined him on that you know people have said uh, well yeah if you want a new season it's up to Disney but you know right now there are no plans uh, but then there's a part of me going boy this seems rather ironic timing if you're not doing anything other than to just say Thanks so much. Uh, watch the next couple of shows and make sure to watch the entire season if you haven't signed up. So, Michael, what do you think? Is this uh, a rah-rah, let's drum up some interest to convince Disney, or do you think a big announcement's coming? No, I think I think there's going to be a big announcement. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, the Orville's been very popular. Um, I know there was there was some concern when it, you know, I had to find a new place to land and it picked up on Hulu. But what we've seen from Disney is that when they pick up a franchise that does well, and, and from what I can tell, the, the newest season is doing extremely well. I'm sure it's doing extremely well for Hulu and for Disney. They're not afraid to uh, renegotiate contracts and, and pull people back together to continue to drive um, you, you know, these, these franchises. So, I, I mean, obviously, we don't know how this season ends. Um, so that'll be, that'll be the other thing, too, is there's going to be a couple of episodes left um, around the time uh, SDD, SDCC has their announcements, so we don't know if, if it actually if the season has a true ending for the Orville. Uh, so I think it could be one of two things: either um, there's going to be an announcement that they've been signed on for a season four, or they could be doing a, an offshoot of the Orville. Also, um, there's always a possibility that we're doing a, um, a couple of a couple of characters are getting their own show, and it's going to be an offshoot of Orville. Maybe it'll be focus on, I don't know, something else um, within that universe. 
um, which wouldn't necessarily necessitate all the crew and all the characters coming back, um, maybe focusing on a, a character or two um, as its own spinoff series. Um, so that's also the op- option it could be, is that instead of getting a whole new Orville Season 4, maybe Orville Season 3 does quote-unquote end, um, but we do have an, an offshoot or a spinoff series based on a couple of characters that continue in that universe. So I think it could be either of those, or it could be both. Maybe it is going to be a, a spinoff of the Orville, and they're going to announce Orville Season 4 as well. Um, maybe just to expand that universe overall. Uh, you know, Again, featuring a new cast, featuring a couple of uh, favorite characters from the show, uh, fe- featuring a new ship altogether, you know, taking it from another species point of view. I mean, there's so many things in that universe, kind of like they did with Star Trek, where they can actually um, spin it off and do do something else that takes place in the universe, uh, but doesn't necessarily have the same cast. So there's there's lots of different areas that they can go with this, depending on uh, the popularity and how much Disney wants to throw at it. Yeah, interesting to- uh, ideas. And uh, Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I definitely think Michael makes some really good points there that, um, you know, I think what had been mentioned earlier is that a lot of the cast had been, or all, all the, the contracts have basically been are up for renegotiation, um, which puts everything up in the air. But one one potential option is, you know, what if, you know, some of the cast are on board and some aren't, uh, some want to kind of move on to something else, then that, that's kind of is the perfect opportunity to do a spinoff, uh, like Michael's saying. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I it'd be kind of odd to put, you know, together a big event like this that it's such a, uh, at a large venue like Comic-Con and not make an announcement. Um, so I, I sort of suspect that we're kind of in for, for you know, a bigger announcement, either a spinoff or, or a renewal. Um, so I, I think that's probably more likely than not. Yeah, I think there's definitely some interest because, like, one of the things was originally thrown around was that uh, if a new season is not possible, there's always the possibility of doing, like, TV movies and that sort of thing. And we've already seen a couple of episodes that were several episodes that were longer than the traditional broadcast versions. And um, I just look at the nature of this season and that they have opened so many storylines that, um, you know, you're not going to be able to resolve these things um, in the next few episodes. And they have shown an incredible ability to take storylines from the past seasons and revisit them and do it in a fresh and original way without repeating content. Uh, We've already had two episodes in a row that have looked back at storylines from previous seasons and expanded on them. We've seen numerous things set up this year that are going to be established. This whole ongoing conflict with the Kalon, I don't see them mysteriously resolving that in two episodes. And then, of course, now you have a other factions that have come into play. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what they do. Now, obviously, uh, Comic-Con, it would not be Comic-Con without a Star Trek presence. And we got news the other day from Paramount Plus that not only are they going to be there pushing uh, Beavis and Butthead, the upcoming new shows, as well as the recent Beavis and Butthead to the universe, they're going to be doing Team Wolf the movie. They will be uh, doing stuff for Evil, Rugrats, SpongeBob, Transformers, Earth's uh, Bark. They're going to have lots of activations. But looking at Star Trek, 
they are going to have various things from uh, panels to pop-ups and activations, a 10-pour experience, the Wrath of Pi, Khan's Cool House ice cream truck. But what, what is interesting is they will be in Hall H, and we have been told that we can look forward to stuff from Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, what I first found rather interesting was nothing on Star Trek Discovery, even though they are working on a new season. Um, obviously, we're going to get some, I would assume we're going to get our look at Star Trek Picard because we're going to have the classic cast all back. They finished filming that, Star Trek Lower Decks. And I understand they're, in, I think they've already wrapped filming just last week on season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, um, which recently wrapped season one. So, Justin, what do you think? What are we going to see? And why is Discovery not there? That is a very good question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just be upfront. I think I've said this before on uh, other podcasts. I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm well aware of Star Trek and all the different series. I, and I'm very familiar with, with the franchise as a whole. Um, but I'm, I, I don't follow it. Um, you know, as closely as, as some, um, and, uh, you know, I think that is a very good question as to why discovery is not there. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe they're saving, um, their trailers and their announcements about it for, for another event. Maybe they will, they kind of want, um, this is just speculation. I, I'm maybe I'm, you know, they want, uh, Picard to kind of take center stage, um, you know, and have all the, uh, uh, I guess the um, uh, the attention on you know bringing the old cast back, uh, and they want the the headlines around that. That's that's kind of my speculation there. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's definitely a, an interesting omission, um, but they de- they also you know they have definitely enough to show off to to, to keep everybody interested. Absolutely, Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I agree. And maybe they just yeah, to Justin's point, maybe they had to kind of decide. Because there are so many franchises that they're bringing, maybe one of them just had to take uh, the backseat. Discovery's been kind of pushed a lot over the past several years. Um, I will say um, Strange New Worlds is probably the best Star Trek um, spinoff yet. I I would say it's even better than uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, any of those. Um, Just the storylines, the 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 effects the everything about it um so i think they're they're for folks who haven't been following that one this is a good opportunity for them to kind of show that off obviously picard with the cast coming back together that's um again something that's uh you know something to be celebrated and you know lower decks i haven't been following at all um but again that's one of their newer newer franchises that they probably wanted to kind of show off uh, discovery i've watched the first three seasons of it i like discovery it's, it, it definitely has kind of gotten its footing where they took it from where it was in the beginning i, I definitely have liked it but it it hasn't gripped me like strange new worlds and some of the other franchises have but i do think that you know discovery is probably one of those things where they may be in the process of still filming they might be in the process of of you know, deciding where they're going to go with it, and maybe it's just not at a point where they have anything new to discuss with it. 
and they'd rather focus on the other franchises. You know, maybe we'll see a bigger push to dis- on Discovery next um, next SCCC, uh, and when they're not, you know, focused on Picard and and some of these other things that they're trying to get some um, some you know footing around and that sort of thing. So it doesn't really surprise me. I think again, they have to. There's a limited amount of time. They're already bringing in a huge cast of characters um, from for Picard and for you know bringing the cast of characters together. Uh, it might just be a matter that they're just overwhelming with so many different things that they need to try to they needed to cut some stuff and and discovery for right now just was that thing that they kind of are, are not going to spend a lot of time on because they have all these other things they need to focus on. I think it's also interesting to note there's not a Star Trek prodigy on there as well, which is going to uh, be making its debut on Nickelodeon while they get near the season. And I think another, Justin, you mentioned another event. It is important to note that the big Star Trek uh, Megacon from creation, this year it's the 56-year mission, is August 25th through 28th in Las Vegas at the Valley's Hotel and Casino. And that is always one where you have most of the casts out there. I mean, they, they always announce several up to them. But just to give you an idea, they've already got William Shatner, George Takei, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Zach Quinto, Jerry Ryan, uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Tig Montero, Anson Mount, Ron Perlman, John Noble, and Rebecca Romaine uh, confirmed for it. And of course, you know, as, to, as we get closer, more and more are going to be added. I mean, it it's, tends to be one of those rare things where, you, you know, they don't have uh, several members of the casts out there. And, of course, as more shows come out, it does make it rather interesting. But I remember, you know, Mark... Uh, has covered our brother-in-law and he's talked about shows where they had all the captains out on stage at the same time and that absolutely brought the house down uh when they did that and you know things like that and of course uh that was where we got the announcement that picard was coming back and so that'll be very interesting to see and uh so you know we'll have to see what is announced but i think uh all things considered they still have a pretty impressive lineup here and it's going to be really fun to get uh you know get down there and get back into the mix and start running around all the activations and seeing that and you know as usual being in the middle of covering one thing until uh while the other i I don't know if i mentioned you guys i remember in 2019 there was a bunch of us doing um nbc universal coverage for brooklyn 99 and the good place and um we were sitting there and at the same time the uh, Marvel panel was going on over at Hall H and we would have the people come and we had these little gaps in between things and like whenever we had a minute or two someone would get on the phone and say hey they just announced a new Doctor Strange oh they just announced a new Ant-Man and so that you know that's kind of the nature of it there's just so much coming at you at the same time now uh, the final segment for this week is a big one. We have done a lot of speculation as to what is going to happen with the future of E3. They did announce again that they were coming back next year with a live slash uh, online presence. You know, there were some people that were skeptical about that since they couldn't get a show together this year. They had a small online one the previous year and the previous year they didn't have one due to COVID. And then the big news dropped that they are working with Repop, the people who have been involved with, just to name a few, New York Comic Con, Star Wars Celebration, the PAX Conventions, C2E2, uh, Emerald City Comic Con, 
they are going to be working with E3 to put on the show next year. We've even seen some uh, discussions where they've said, look, we understand this is whole uh, an event, and even though that these other rival events go on, some people in the community consider them E3, and we're going to see if there's a way to make the PC gaming show to make the Summer Game Fest all part of what we're doing. Uh, Michael, what do you expect? Oh, sorry, I got I got distracted. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think just like any of the other things, there's always, I don't know, there's lots of opportunities for different things that are still coming this way. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. Justin, do you have a take, please? Yeah, so E3, you know, they've, it's been rough, you know, just to be completely honest, it's been, it's been rough for, uh, um, you know, the commission that puts it together, you know, they have, haven't had a, uh, an in-person, you know, big uh, event for quite some time, several years at this point. So, 2019. So, you know, they're really in danger now of, like, people just moving on because uh, all the companies have adapted. So they've had several years now where they either have their own events or they spread their announcements out uh, at other conventions. So they really need somebody to put together a, a, a big event next year, I think. And I... I these guys have a, have a, a lot of um, experience and track record putting on you know in person events. Obviously, packs you know goes on. Several different packs happen every year, so I think it, it this is probably the right move for them. Um, and it will be really interesting to see how big uh, E3 goes next year, and because I think they really got to go all out in order to you know make up for lost time, as it were. So. Um, so that'll be exciting uh, to, to see how it goes. And I, I think this definitely it puts them on the right track um, because they, they really need something to, uh, to re- revitalize uh, their, their, uh, their presence. I think the two biggest questions are, number one, which companies are coming back? We've circled this topic many times, and it remains, a I think, a very important topic is, are we going to see... Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo at these events, because if not, that does make things questionable. There are events coming up, and some of them they're not going to be taking part, and another one, well, they're there, but it's only kind of like private meeting rooms and stuff like that, and not a presence on the floor, and I think that's going to be a major thing that has to be addressed. And then the second question is going to be, what are they going to do with the general public? Is this basically going to become packs where you have a large number of the general public mixed in with a, uh, a few, me- well, with a number of media people, but more of a pop culture celebration versus an industry event? And I think that's kind of a given. But, you know, as we all know, we look back to that first year that the general public was uh, really allowed to come to PAX and it was chaos for the first few hours because uh, there were a lot of issues, people not understanding the process, people blocking the aisles, people, and it took, you know, I remember one of the security people telling me it took about two hours until that because it was taking ages just to go from booth to booth. Uh, But then the next year they adapted and did very well by giving the media uh, a few hours head start before the public was let in, and that was great because we used that time to go to places where we didn't have set appointments. Then when the public came in, 
you went and did your set appointments. So that seemed to work. But I mean, I, we're talking a difference of, I think, 10 to 15,000, if uh, memory serves me correctly, in a venue where 50, 75,000 people is not uncommon. Uh, but we also saw what happened with the Anime Expo a week or so ago, where uh, there was absolute chaos and the fire marshal had to come in and shut down access. I do remember the first year with um, the general public where uh, they were all milling outside one of the halls and all of a sudden we were, you know, we're all sitting in the press lounge and we heard this big cheer and they said, oh, well, the fire marshal said they can't be here. We had to, uh, they had to open the halls early. And, uh, you know, the previous years, again, they adapted and had them line up outside under overhangs, so they were cool and that sort of thing. But, again, you know, where's the mix? Is it going to be basically the media, here you go, but this is a fan-first event, which I think is kind of what's going to happen. I think it's going to be more of a general con. But is the show basically, you, you, you don't, I don't expect it to be basically summer packs because E3 has a different identity. E3 was always where the announcements were made, where the first looks were made, where you got to have your discussion with the developers. PAX was where you got your hands-on time, you got to see the general public seeing their reaction to the products, getting a better look at it, closer to release, that sort of thing. And so it'll be interesting to see. I think it's probably going to be a hybrid of the two, where there'll be industry events possibly for the media and select individuals where the announcements and stuff are made i think we may see the showcases but i will be very curious to see what the main floor is going to look like so yeah uh, and just to kind of go along with those points too is it's it i don't expect sony will ever be there i, I think they're kind of done with e3 nintendo's already kind of done that ea's already done that um if Microsoft does that, they'll pull Bethesda, Activision, and um, Blizzard with them, and that pretty much only leaves us with the smaller studios. Uh, when I say smaller, I don't necessarily mean indie studios, but places like WB Games, Square Enix, maybe um, Capcom, and Capcom, Ubisoft. Um, again, not nece not necessarily in not indie developers per se, but I I think. I would be, I'm a little, I really am starting to wonder if the big three uh, now, really, Microsoft, uh, Sony, and uh, Nintendo, if, if those three, again, don't decide to do their own shows or, or kind of consolidate their shows, you know, we used to be with, you know, Bethesda, prior to them being under Microsoft, would have, uh, I think, benefited from being at E3, but now that they're under Microsoft, they don't necessarily need need to be there um microsoft i could see doing that because they tend to be more consumer focused recently a lot more focused on um because they've had to be a little bit more focused on uh, you know pushing their products and, and being more adaptable i think because they've had because sony's had such a had such a tremendous lead with the playstation 4 i think sony's at a point where they don't feel they need anybody to help them um which i think will bite them eventually, um, but it probably won't um, short term. Uh, I, I think Microsoft this will be a good opportunity for Microsoft to gain ground. So of, of anybody who I think might be there is Microsoft, you know, bringing the Bethesda and stuff, just because that would give them a, a singular focus for a show on their own. And I do agree that it's going to be public uh, access. I think the, the, the time, uh, and that's not to say that from a 
from a media perspective, they won't still open it maybe an hour earlier or two hours earlier for media and still have the backdoor meetings, which I personally prefer that to the other stuff. I mean, I'd rather have the meet with the developers, do the one-on-one events than the, you know, the demos and that sort of thing. That's less of an interest to me. Um, I think you'll still see some of that, but I think it's, I think the money and the focus is on the fans. And I think they, they will determine whether or not E3 continues is how many fans they attract. Um, you know, it, it used to, and I, and I, it, it's kind of sad because I, I, I remember when E3 was kind of the media only event and it was exciting because people couldn't go, normal people couldn't go, so more people were tuned into watching it on G4 at the time uh, prior to streaming and, and YouTube and stuff being um, a way to watch that stuff. And you would kind of get the feeling of this is, oh, this is exclusive content that people don't get to see unless they're watching it on TV or part of media. And I think that's what kind of makes the show, I think, exciting. Um, I think when they start opening up to the public, it becomes more of a PAX type event. And they start, you know, catering more to the fans, um, which does kind of make the access a little bit less exclusive, I guess. Uh, but overall, you know, I, I, I do think it's going to be a, uh, how how do the fans react and, and what happens with the big three and do we do we see any participation again Nintendo will probably have stuff there um, but they haven't really been all that involved lately Sony pulled out a couple of years ago they're not coming back and so we'll see what Microsoft decides to do yeah it's interesting because I see basically so many possibilities with this number one you can bet that in addition to their discussions uh, because, you know, uh, some of the ReadPop people had kind of implied that this discussion had been broached a couple of years ago, and or they, years ago, you know, figure in the timeline, but go figure. Um, you're in a really interesting situation, because on one hand, you could say, perhaps a new voice, it will be interesting to see, like, who's handling various aspects of the business, and I don't think we'll necessarily get that, but for example, when it comes time to reach out to the companies to get them to secure their space, is this going to be Repop, or is this going to be the ESA, or is it going to be a mix of the two? Because there could be a mindset of someone new hitting them up going, hey, this is a whole new show, this is whole exciting. Um, you know, it, it's like anything else, whenever you do promotion, the biggest trick is you have to show the value. And I think the, the biggest thing is that you have to go out and land someone big right off the top because it, it has a big impact being able to go to a company and say, look, you know, blank is here, blank is here, and blank is here. We're trying to give you equal time because there are there is the aspect of, do we want to be the only ones sitting out of this thing? the same time i could see them just rolling out the show and then using the mentality of let's get what we can let's just be glad we're back let's make it hip let's make it exciting let's tweak it a little bit excuse me based on feedback going forward and then use the hey if you're not here you're missing out mentality and like you said some companies may not respond to that but perhaps going in and saying, look, because of the general public, we're getting all this money, so we don't need to charge the same amount for boot space that we have in the past. Maybe that would attract you in. You know, the, the, We can sit there and play the game of, let's say, 
50,000 people, 70,000 people come to the convention. Well, you have all the companies that are paying their money, and that's that's all fine and dandy. But if only 10 to 15,000 are buying tickets, then that makes the financial aspect a little different. So if you're coming in saying, well, now we're going to have, I don't know, 40, 50,000 people buying tickets, and then we're going to have uh, this many people in the media coming in, here you go. And are you know are you going to be able to do things like put in all kinds of streaming arrangements with uh, paid advertisement? Uh, you know, there are ways to monetize them. So a lot of questions, but I think all in all, I think it at least is good in the standpoint of we're going to have a form of E3 next year, and it's probably going to be different than anything we've had. I'm kind of, if I had to roll the dice right now, I'd say I expect a hybrid between PAX Prime and or PAX West and E3, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. So now, folks, one, that's, one more thing. oh, go ahead. Yeah, just one more quick thing to add to that is it might also be time for them to start looking at a change of venue, honestly, maybe Las Vegas or something like that. And the reason I say that is it might be financially beneficial for them to strike a deal kind of like CES does because um, they might be able to get this the location uh, rented out cheaper for those who are going to be there uh, because they know they're going to be bringing in folks to stay at their hotels um, and that sort of thing because let's face it that uh, convention center doesn't have a great variety of places to stay um, and, and I realize a lot of the folks are local or they're, they're California based that doesn't necessarily mean they want to drive down there every day for the convention. Whereas something like Vegas, they would probably get a better venue price. And then, again, they could tie in all those hotels for people to come and stay. And you might get a better opportunity with that. So um, we might even see a change of venue in the future for them. That would be an interesting thing. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember before the pandemic hit, that was something that um, – PACs or Repop, they put out a survey uh, essentially asking people, how would you feel about this city or how would you feel about that city for certain shows? And the overwhelming response was, no, we're happy with keeping things in Seattle. It's uh, a very accommodating. There's lots of things to do, so on and so forth. But I do remember for one year, there was that, hey, how do you feel about this and how do you feel about that? And we talked about things with CES, Michael, before the pandemic about how they were acquiring up uh, hotels uh, around the convention center and some of these older buildings. And we saw in 2019 how they were leveling out these things and these there were empty lots. And of course, the pandemic probably put a real halt to a lot of these things. But there was a lot of talk about how they were aggressively trying to expand the convention center, which is already massive, uh, which already has a massive parking space for a lot of pop-ups, because at that time, there was a lot of discussion about what was going to happen with San Diego Comic-Con in terms of their lease extension, with their hopes for an expansion, and there was some talk that Las Vegas was going all in to massively expand their convention center to try to land a show like that or other shows, so, uh, you know all moving parts and all things to keep an eye on. And that's going to do it for us this week, folks. You have a very safe week ahead, and we look forward to talking to you same time next week. Until then, take care.